Navigating Change, the podcast from Tybal Inc. I'm Pete Wright, and I am sort of here with Howard Tybal. And I'm sort of here with you, but I... Where are you? What where are you mean? right now? Oh, oh you, you didn't know where to announce no, where I am right now? No, I don't know where you are. I, you, I, I, these are the days where I, I never really know where... The fall is tough, because I never know where you are in this universe. So I'm actually sitting at a coffee shop in Portland... I, I, I didn't want street. to tell you. I'm down the street. <laughs> I'm a block ha- from your house. I'm watching yeah. you. <laughs> but I, I just I just couldn't bring myself to to let you know that because I've got no time to see you. Oh. Actually, no. I know. I know that hurts, doesn't it? It does hurt. I am. Um, I'm in Philadelphia, right outside of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, just finishing up the Ecubo annual meeting, and uh, tomorrow I'm going to be speaking at the Pennsylvania Association of Independent School Business Officers. Um, so these are the equivalent of the higher ed chief business officers for independent schools, and we're going to be doing the communicating financial information effectively. Oh, that's a good one. Should be fun. That's a I good know. one. I wish you probably wish you were here, don't you? I do more than anything. It's it, it's overcast, overcast, but it's always overcast where you are, isn't it? That's not very nice because that it was... is. It's it strikes too close to home. But I will tell you, today is gorgeous. <laughs> it is a crisp uh, sixty degrees, yes. but it is clear. So you sound good. You sound, but you always sound good. Well, I'm feeling what are we good. talking about today, Pete? We're talking about power control and shared governance uh, today. Oh, but I know it's a big one. But before we dig in, if you're listening to this, make sure you head over to tybalink.com to learn more about us and this show and subscribe for free to our mailing list so you don't miss a single episode. We'll send you an email with the latest episodes uh, every couple of weeks. You won't miss a single thing. And it really is the best way uh, to make sure that you can stay caught up with this very show. And of course, join the conversation on Twitter at Howard Tybalink or uh, at Pete Wright. Love to hear from you. Uh, or, of course, you can find us on LinkedIn. There you go. How do you feel? You feel good? You ready to jump in? Yeah, and it's got a pen out because what I wrote down oh, is dear. a reminder. You know what I wrote? What did you write? None of us have really any control. Oh. And that's what, you know, and I'll tell you, that might, you know, maybe we're losing some people now like, oh, come on, I have control. But the but the, the big picture, 30,000, 50,000 feet, I think we have a, we have a uh, a view about our ability to make things happen, uh, and some of us have authority, so we have the illusion of control or the the ability to control. But when it comes to shared governance, and you know, there's very clear formal definitions of what this means, but it really is about the collaboration between the leadership bodies that orchestrate a college or university. And and I'm going to read something. Linda, McMill- Linda McMillan um, spoke. She's a former, Sus- former provost of Susquehanna University. And she was speaking at an association of American colleges and universities back in 2002. And that's what's so great. You can, here's what I love about higher ed too, is you can go back to the early 1800s and read a quote. And it's like, yeah, it's still relevant. Yeah, it's still relevant. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because we're really good at changing briskly. Briskly. Yes. But 2002 is, is like, you know, yesterday. Yeah. So listen to this quote. Faculty and administrators in most universities come together daily to accomplish a variety of tasks. However, we do not often perceive ourselves to be collaborators. Frequently, we encounter each other as adversaries, adversaries bound to represent our distinctive groups 
and monitor the behavior of the other side. Monitor the behavior of the other side. Thus, we focus on negotiating compromise rather than on collaborating to create the most effective solutions. When I read this in front of people, whether you're on the academic side, the administrative side, students don't quite see this. Uh, they're not exposed to this in the same way. But I can tell you academics and administrators look at this and say, yeah, that pretty much captures how we work together. We are, we are, and again, some people out there listening are going to say, I have a unique situation. I, I don't have that adversarial role. And all I'll say to you then is you're really lucky because the nature of the game out there plays out very often, and rightfully so, is that our focus is, is to represent our distinctive groups and make sure that other people are not getting in our way. Oh my goodness, that's the one that gives me heartburn. Like I was okay, like I, you know, with your first, with the first paragraph. You know, we don't often perceive ourselves to perceive ourselves to be collaborators. Okay, I, that that is a truth. Uh, and the number of times we come together to meet uh, because we are a task oriented culture at, in higher ed, just as much as we're task oriented in many uh, businesses. You know, we we don't do a good job of flipping the office as good a job as we're doing flipping the classroom. Um, and and so we're not very very project based or collaborative. That's a truth. I get that. We can talk more about that if you want. But the one that really struck me is this idea that we represent our distinctive groups and monitor the behavior of the other side because it takes you uh, to that sort of protectionist mindset, that turf mindset. And that is, uh, as you said, yeah, there are unique experiences out there, but but I think there are probably more where we we're still dealing with this turf oriented. Uh, uh, position where we we have to protect ourselves and what we have acquired, uh, or else it will be taken from us. And uh, and I don't think that is this is not something we should be too overly hard on ourselves about. In no. that, I I think that the uniqueness of how decision making and progress happens in higher ed is is in in a slightly different way that we sort of have our government with the legislative and executive and judiciary branch right there is a there is a a making sure that no one body can run ahead with something without checking with the other bodies and presidents because I've worked with a bunch will absolutely say to me uh, there's very little I have control over. The, the best presidents have the ability to influence the people that are both the people they report up to, which is their trustees, and then, the, and then sort of keeping the peace and the, the vision moving forward between academics and administration. And what's fascinating about this, I think we all agree that we need to have strong administration focused on making sure that the trains are running and people are getting paid and and all of the behind the scenes work that goes into operating university and front and center we need faculty to feel like they're contributing that they're honored in the, in the way of what they do and but where it breaks down is we don't have great language when we come together in terms of understanding each other. I mean, the, the very simple example is 
administrators come to, and, and I'll just use finance as an example. Finance is complicated. I mean, the nature of putting together a financial uh, report, a quarterly report, and then presenting it to your trustees, uh, if, if, if those trustees have a finance background, they in themselves can be confused because the nature of the language that's used, since it's not for profit, there's a whole other series of language that's embedded in higher education. But then you take that same presentation and you try to talk about here's our financial condition and you bring that to the faculty or to the uh, faculty senate, any academic body. You've got to rethink how you talk because it, you are speaking Greek. And, and, mm -hmm. and finance people need to do a better job of getting off of their jargon and finding a way to connect with faculty on faculty's terms. How do you how do you talk about that? Because I, you know, in my experience, we create silos based on expertise. It's a very natural sort of it's human nature, right? So the finance people will stick together, and the, the faculty is why faculty are faculty. They 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 kind of have their own mindset, and that's sort of how we work. Um, uh, but but it seems to me as soon as you start introducing this concept of collaboration, that uh, a true collaboration would mean that the language that we are creating the work product in is a language that is universal for these bodies. And so we would be able to present to faculty in a language faculty understands because faculty was involved in the process somehow. I'm speaking at a very high level kind of generic, but, but I, I'm interested in how you talk about it. How can you, can you increase collaboration earlier in the process? Not so much a monitor and present, but you know, take a more active role. You know, in, in the for the in, colleges and universities that I've worked with, it's it's very obvious that if there's an initiative that wants to move forward, let's say that we want to explore uh, more distance learning, we want to find ways to use online learning in a more creative way, whether it's in the classroom or, you know, not so much MOOCs where it's you know we're gonna. You know, make it available to thousands of people. But we want to be more creative in that you just said, flipping the classroom. Well, that there's a number of dimensions to that, the biggest of which is that it impacts how faculty think about uh, what does it mean to teach and how we teach. And the only, the only individual who has the, for the most part, the ability to bring that concept, if it's not being initiated by the faculty side, is the president or the chancellor saying, listen, let's have a dialogue about this. And faculty have a very important stake in that. And it comes down to, in this case, Pete, whether or not the relationship between the academic leadership and the administrative leadership is strong. You got the leaders you, you got. And until something changes, you either, you either are fortunate enough to have uh, a set of leaders who are working towards building increasing respect and, and understanding for each other's needs, or you don't. And if you don't, you're, you have a, you're going to have a harder time influencing them. And you know, I see a lot of that kind of resignation out there. I wish I, we had a different leader or we had a greater partnership, you know, whether it's a business officer having that conversation about a chief academic officer or vice versa. Um, but assuming that 
there is a way that people say, yeah, we are in this together. We know we're in this together. Then it comes down to working from a place of recognizing how we work. And part of this conversation has to do with power. And there's a lot of different points of view about power, one of which is uh, given that faculty really do not have to cooperate, right? They will they absolutely have the interest of the institution front and center. And if they fundamentally don't believe in the direction the president or the administrative side wants to go, they do not need to go there. As a matter of fact, it's even harder than that. The, the structure that supports the faculty, the chairs and the deans in working with them, they don't have any real power. They have influence. They are hopefully, because in some cases, nominated to positions um, by their peers, that they are given the authority to move things forward. But it comes down to, are we willing to step out of these power relationships where it's purely about, I'm only going to give you cooperation if you give me resources? And yes. It, right? And, and administration has control over resources. So this is a game we play where I'll cooperate if you give me resources. I'll give you resources if you cooperate. And then you've got leaders, presidents and chancellors, and their job, for the most part, plays out trying to ensure keeping the peace. Right? Now, yeah, now again, yeah. I am making some... Uh, generalized statements, and I know there are many institutions that are in a different place. I work with one where the level of respect between the provost and the senior vice chancellor is extremely high, a great deal of respect for their chancellor, and as a result, they are listening to each other. It's the difference between when the provost sits down and says, I want to do this, and the chief uh, business officer, she's got two choices. No but, no and this is why, or yes and this is what we need to talk about. And she comes from a place of yes and this is what we need to think about versus no and why. And this is partly the mindset shift for schools uh, and leaders they need to have is a willingness to really listen and not come to the other side with an agenda that you're trying to impose down their throats. Yeah, I think so much of it becomes, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to bring it back to, again, to this sort of protectionist stance this the, that we're operating out of fear. And, and so much of building trust and respect uh, goes back to our own individual ability and our team's ability and our department's ability to let go of fear that somebody else is out to get us or change things that, that we're yeah. terrified of working with. Yes. And that's, uh, you know, I have an experience with an institution that is uh, not my own uh, that has just uh, brought in a new leader. Uh, um, and uh, the leader comes from a much larger institution, and uh, there is it, we're we're seeing this pattern there where um, the 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 public appearance of the leader is very positive. Everybody's you know enthusiastic for change, but what's going on in the back channels is uh, we're in dire straits. Uh, this new person does not understand the institution. Faculty have uh, are, are displaying and thereby actively encouraging an environment 
moment of no respect uh, for the new leadership. Uh, and, and it seems to be uh, moving into a deflationary spiral here. And I have these mm-hmm. colleagues over there who are actively calling me saying, hell, I, I, I need some advice. I need a, I need a landing spot because I'm not going to be here very much longer. That's a very uh, a dangerous place to be. But so much of it is it goes back to this, I am terrified that what this new individual is doing is going to change my world in a way that is uncomfortable to me. And it is a very individual uh, fear that yeah, is manifesting they say in that. a larger they place. They wouldn't say it's uncomfortable. What, what no. people typically say is, you're going to change you're going to change what I need to do. And I don't agree with the direction you want to do. We, we, we need to do a better job of being willing to be in a conversation that doesn't require us to make a decision. So in some ways, I got to tell you, administrators have a lot to learn from faculty about what dialogue means, you know, and that dialogue is about bringing out all the views. And sometimes it's not about making a decision. Mm-hmm. And and this is where we get into a lot of trouble. You know, I, I part of the communication I'll do when I bring administrators and academics together is that the academic view of a managerial focus, and I just worked with a provost who said, you know, I do not want us to make a decision today. I want to make sure we have a healthy dialogue about this because I don't think we have fully, fully explored it. And that's the collegial way of thinking about getting into understanding a problem. And this is really important. I'm, I try to teach administrators how to do this better because they're so quick to want to make decisions. You know, they're check off their boxes. But the other side of it is we do need to make decisions. So you've got academics where the dialogue is the point, and you've got administrators where the traditional managerial, let's have a discussion, make sure we understand the problem, and let's decide what we're going to do, and let's do this in the next five minutes. That is two different ways of coming at looking at a problem, and both sides need to appreciate that the other side has value in the way they approach the work, but we don't. Uh, you know, The academy comes in with and, and and I do understand this because because it sometimes in a defensive position because they feel like they're under attack, they feel like they're and, and I'll tell you something, the number one thing I've been saying more and people resonate with this. We got to stop talking in a disparaging way about people who are not in our group. And administrators talk disparagingly about faculty, and faculty talk disparagingly about administrators. Yes, and that builds disrespect. Every time I say this, everybody agrees, and the only way it's going to change is if we monitor our own behavior and we recognize that we're doing our institution a disservice when we talk amongst our peers behind closed doors and we make fun of the other side. Isn't it fascinating that we have this discussion? I mean, it's sort of this yin-yang of, of power versus our approach to collaboration, right? That from the academic side, what we've set out is that there is a much more natural inclination to uh, a collegial approach to discussion and where, as you say, the discussion is the point and the faculty tend to be naturally inclined to creating and cultivating an environment of discussion. It's what they do in class all day long. It's that that's their worldview, and they have the power over cooperation with administration. Uh, administration, which has 
much less power over cooperation. Uh, they have the resources uh, and need to learn how to collaborate. So academics sometimes may find themselves, well, I'm not being listened to. They're not accepting my, uh, you know, my uh, offering of collaboration. And we get huffy and frustrated. Yeah, exactly. Right? That's just sort of our feathers well, get all ruffled and we get all puffy yeah, and, and yeah. go and we take our ball and go home. Uh, That's right. And, and that doesn't get anywhere either. And yet yeah. we well, let's, have let's, the natural let's... skill to, to create an environment of collaboration between administration and academics. We do have the natural skill to do this. We just have to be mindful of what our intention is when we come into a meeting with people outside of our area. Yeah. Is our goal to impose something on them or is our goal to engage them? And this gets straight to our the sort of third point of what a healthy shared governance environment looks like. Well, so, so to that point, let's not forget the most important or equally important body, which are the trustees, the boards. Because in the end, and again, if you talk to any, they are the fiduciary responsibility. They have the fiduciary responsibility of the institution. Their job is to make sure that the strategic plan is moving in the direction that is going to keep the institution sound and strong uh, over many lifetimes. The challenge is, is that they step into the world and, you know, we, we, we invite more and more trustees in and in private institutions. It's often alumni and in public institutions. We find ourselves uh, with nominated sometimes from the, uh, from the state. And they have a different view of decision-making and their view is more directive. You know, unless you've got you know the trustees who are faculty focused, uh, they understand. You know, they're they're there to sort of be the counterpoint. But you have lots of trustees who come from industry who have made a career out of being successful, and they are stymied by why can't we just say this is what we want to do, Mr. or Mrs. President or Chancellor, and just make it happen. And as a result, they're, they're sitting out there also playing this game of talking disparagingly about faculty or having an opinion about why can't our administration move a little faster because they've got often a corporate or a top-down perspective. So that third element in this, you know, there's the dynamics between the academics and administration, but then there is the trustees – who really get to influence major policy decision, and they're out there playing that same game of we got power over the president, you know. And, and this is the interesting thing: when there's a no confidence vote for a president, it's often because the trustees get nervous that they are not effectively keeping the peace. And, and, and in many ways, or, or moving the agenda down in the right direction. And increasingly over the last five years, there's been more calls for uh, a no confidence of college presidents and even senior administrators. And it's coming because trustees are finding themselves sort of, in some cases, unformed about the way governance really happens. And in other cases not really being willing to make the time to, you know, in a sense to treat and work with their president 
in a collaborative way and dig in there. And there's lots of ways of talking about this. I mean, the, the other dimension in this too is for a college president or a university president or a chancellor, they want to make sure that their trustees are involved but not overly involved. And that's the right thing. The, the trustee's job is not to get involved in the day-to-day -day operations. And some of these individuals have lots of experience in, in how to do that well. So the mix of these three bodies in the end is one of the sources of what makes it hard to move forward. And, and my, my primary premise here that, I, that I'm talking a lot about different parts of the country is we first need to understand where we are before we can figure out where we want to go. We need to tell the truth about where we are mm -hmm. and how we relate to each other. And then we can build off of that and say, all right, if this is the way we see each other, how, do we, how are we going to shift that so we can move from, I'm going to cooperate with you, to let's co collaborate? That is uh, just something that's floating around in my head while I'm listening to you talk is, you know, we went through our own massive leadership change uh, two, three years ago, and it was it was really traumatic. And there was there were some really low points and some faculty senate meetings that were very dark. Uh, but what we came to is that at, at its very darkest across the institution, each of these three bodies had lost the assumption that the other two bodies we're operating with the best interests of the university at heart. So that's that's that is what I call, and I'm sure you call goodwill. Yeah. And when we give up goodwill, that we trust that the other side, or and let's even that we trust the people who are part of our leadership, don't have both our best interest in mind and the institution's best interest in mind, and we lose that trust, we're not going to go anywhere. Yeah. So you, you hit the nail on the head by describing that that mindset of uh, where where when that trust kind of breaks down, that's where we end up even getting more retrenched with our own groups. Yes. So what I want to see, what I want to contribute more to, is getting these bodies together to have honest conversations, and and the reason they don't. See, those that do and take me up on this is because they're interested in moving this conversation beyond the power relationship. And those institutions that are more interested at the leadership level of maintaining control and power, they're going to have a hard time navigating, making innovative and tough decisions because the academic side of the house, administrative side of the house, and trustees, they are living in siloed worlds and they've got very different views on what innovation and change looks like. Yeah, I, I love it. And, and I, I, you know, the real gift of that whole experience is when you realize that you ha get that assumption back of each other, uh, it, the institution becomes really remarkably healthy. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And we've got, like I said, there are great examples of this. But if you're in an institution where you don't see this coming from your peers and peers that work in other areas, it's incumbent upon you to say, can we speak what's really going on? This is the classic. This is as good an elephant in the room as anything. Yes. And yeah. are we willing to put these on the table and have honest dialogue? If this is true for you, 
this is an area to start exploring and to start thinking about. Wonderful conversation. I'm glad you uh, brought this one. You kind of surprised me with this one, but I'm really glad you did. Uh, this is a, yeah. a great way to explore it's this topic. It's rare I can surprise you. Well, you're, you're, you, you, are, you, you think better on your feet than anybody I know, Pete. Well, you're very kind. I, hang on. I need to write this down in my diary. Yeah. I, you know, I, a compliment for you goes a long way. <laughs> yes, it does. Oh, by the way, by the way, by the way. Uh, so last night. Oh, story. Okay. Mike, uh, uh-huh. quick story. Mike Gower was having uh, sort of it was the, it was the closing night for the Ecubo annual meeting and he has turned over his leadership on Tuesday to Lynn Schaefer from UMBC and he invited me to this little gathering and I walk into his suite and there's a piano no yes were you so, able to to rip it so out so I sit down and I did the navigation change <laughs> podcast theme for Mike <laughs> It was like my <laughs> gift to Mike. Oh, oh, he that was, warms my heart. It was awesome. It was awesome. So, I mean, nobody in the room, you know, most people didn't know that I, I, I keep the fact that I that I play. Uh, but, you know, you and I both know we were intending to do this on the stage at one point. Yes. And, you know, he texted me, he goes, coming up to my suite, there's a piano here. In, like, in okay. his suite. In his suite, he had a piano. That's I don't think he, he I, travels I think in he style. This Gower, yeah, he does travel. <laughs> he got lucky. Or are you saying? Are you saying that the piano wasn't there? It was in his trailer that his entourage wheels from state I to state he wherever he goes. With piano. <laughs> I do think he travels with the piano. Nobody knows that about him. <laughs> uh, it's Mike Gower uh, dragging his <laughs> piano across the country. That's right. <laughs> well, our, and I should say, this is by the time people are hearing this particular episode, it will have been some time since the Ikubo annual meeting. But we should say uh, again our deepest thanks to Ikubo and to Mike specifically, and he, as he is uh, uh, has wound down his term and handed over to Lynn. We we appreciate you both very very much. Thank you so much for everything you've uh, done for uh, for us, and and we appreciate being a, a part of the Ikubo world. So, is that, fair, is that fair to say? You just said it. You can't take it back. That's right. And it's fair to say. All right. Thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening. And uh, on behalf of Howard Tybell, I'm Pete Wright. We'll catch you next week at Navigating Change, the podcast from Tybell, Inc.